love the Townleys. I really do. And uh, in about a week, uh, you'll get a good preacher back here. And uh, you'll go along and have high church again. And, and uh, I love to hear Brother Townley preach. He's real and follows the Holy Ghost and isn't so much worried about a good thought, although he has good thoughts. But uh, just a tremendous preacher and Sister Townley is a um, <clears throat> tremendous singer, um, just tremendous. And everybody, just so much talent here. And what a wonderful church. I mean that. It's a good quality church, some quality people. And you ought to pat yourself on the back because uh, you add to the dynamics here. Amen. Second Timothy 2, verse number 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. One more scripture, Romans 9, verse number 22. And I'm really going to pray the Lord help me. I've had about three hours of sleep in two days. And so the Lord's just going to help us tonight. What if God, what if God willing to show his wrath to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? What if God willing to show his wrath to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? I want to talk to you tonight and uh, I'm preaching to two, two things here. One, I felt in the Holy Ghost that I'm preaching to people that are not here. I am preaching to people that have wandered from the house. And I'm also preaching to some people that are here. And uh, I'm gunning for some of you. I'm gunning for you. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you tonight about mercy in a merciless place. Mercy. In a merciless place. With the church, put your Bibles down. And I want you to join together in a spirit of unity and prayer. And I want you to lift your voice. I want you to pray. Would you come on pray right now? The Lord would just begin to operate. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, we need your presence. Hallelujah. I want everybody in this place to begin to pray for every backslider they know that's not here tonight. I want you to lift your voice and begin to pray right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus right now. Come on, would you let a little fervor and intensity get behind it? 
Are there any mothers that their sons aren't living for God? Jesus' mighty name. Oh, God. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. The Apostle Paul, while writing to Timothy, began to discuss with him in the letter this parabolic series of scriptures where he talks about a great house and the vessels that comprise the great house. He tells us that the vessels which make up or reside in the great house are vessels of gold and silver, wood and of earth. The great house, I will submit tonight, is the church body as a whole, yet for the sake of the local assembly, I will submit that it is representative of those of us that are gathered here tonight. The Bible is very clear numerous times in the analogies and the connections in comparing us to vessels in one type. The Apostle Paul declared that we have treasure in earthen vessels talking about you and me. Everybody say, I am a vessel. And so sitting in this place this morning, the Apostle Paul, if he was here, would look across this great fine congregation of believers. And I believe that the words of 2 Timothy 2 and 20 would echo and reverberate in his mind as he looked across this room and saw the conglomeration of vessels that are gathered together. Now, It is important to clarify tonight that although it tells us that there was four types and four materials of vessels that were present, gold, silver, wood, and of earth, it was not the material that was of importance, but rather what that vessel was used for. Please understand this evening that just because I am sitting in the house of the Lord, just because I'm sitting in the great house does not mean that as a vessel I am what I need to be and I'm where I need to be with God. The deciding factor and the distinction of a vessel that God determines is not whether it is a vessel of gold, silver, wood, or of earth. That is not the distinguishing part because he doesn't put one above the other. But it is to him the deciding factor that God looks at tonight is whether I am a vessel unto honor or I am a vessel unto dishonor. In Romans, while dealing, Paul dealing with many things begins to pose the question. In Romans 9 verse number 18, he says, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? 
The scripture that Paul is declaring is not revealing that we do not have the power of choice, but quite contrary to that, it is not declaring that we cannot choose what we want to be and that we have not the free will and the moral uh, uh, liberty to choose what we so desire. But what Paul was declaring is that ultimately we either resist or embrace the hand of the potter that holds the clay. Never does the time and the moment come with the clay and the potter that the clay will look at the potter and tell it that it is a vessel of honor and it is worthy of the use of a master but that is reserved entirely for the potter to decide. There's nobody here tonight no matter how good you might be no matter what you say no matter what we do that can determine how and what you are in the kingdom of the Lord. It is God and entirely God that declares whether a vessel is fit for the master's use or it's fit unto destruction. In fact, you must realize that when reading this series of scriptures that although it seems that it's absent and void of mercy, you've got to understand that there is mercy that is entirely through the entire thought of what Paul was declaring. Hear me when I say this tonight and I need everybody to hear me tonight. I don't want any distractions because I'm standing between heaven and hell for some of you tonight but hear this preacher tonight God never creates a vessel with the sole purpose of destroying it he never creates a person with the idea that you're just some proverbial pawn on a chessboard of life I know the devil would try to tell somebody tonight that he doesn't care about you and that you're just something that he can move aside with one trivial blow but that is not the God that I serve you've got to understand this tonight night uh, that you in the hand of the potter to everybody else you're just an unformed lump of clay but to him uh, you are the greatest uh, most valuable most prized of all possessions Uh, to him you are more than the greatest nugget of gold you're more than the talent of silver you're more than the bronze of the tabernacle to him you are everything would you clap your hands unto the lord Hallelujah. Romans 9 and 21, he said, Hath not the potter power over the clay, the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and the other unto dishonor? Everything that Paul this far has been talking about in the letter to Timothy and the epistle to Romans has uh, roots that entirely connect to what is called the potter's house. It is in the analogy and the confines of the potter's house uh, that there he says, there are numerous vessels that are in the house. Isaiah 64 and 8 says, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou art the potter, and we are all the work of Thy hand. Jeremiah 18 and 6 says, O house of Israel, and I will say this this evening, O house in Jennings, Louisiana, cannot I do with you as this potter says, the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine, 
It is all the allusion to the potter's house. It is what goes on at the potter's house that is being mentioned. In Jeremiah 18 and 1, we are given a picture and a great analogy of that which endures or occurs at the potter's house. It tells us in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and it was a time in which the people of Israel were doing that which was contrary to God. They were not living up to the standard. They were not living up to the, the benchmark of what God had called them to be, but rather they had backslidden in a state of apathy and unconcern, and they were embracing things and bringing them into their home that would become generational in its implication. It was to this people that the prophet Jeremiah cried day and night. In fact, one time it said that he said, oh, that my head were a fountain of water. In other words, oh, that I could just cry all the day long because of the heartache and the burden and the pain of a people that had backslid from God, that were not living up to par, that were not living the way that God had designed for them to live. And finally the day came, the Bible says, that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and he said to him, giddy up and go down to the potter's house. Everybody say, he went to the potter's house. And he said, when you get there, I'm, I'm going to show you my words. I'm going to tell you what to say. And so Jeremiah obediently travels to the potter's house. And we find that as he enters the picture before him, the Bible tells us that there is a potter that is hard at work uh, over a lump of clay. It is in the process of what the potter's doing. Uh, it is, the Bible says, that the potter wrought a work on the wheels, literally, that presents the meaning that with skilled craftsmanship, uh, the lump of clay that was in his hand, uh, he put the gentle touches of a potter. He shaped it only the way that a potter would shape it. Uh, hear me when I say this tonight, uh, that there's never a time that a potter nonchalantly puts you on the wheel and just shapes you. But it is a process. Uh, it is a process with a potter. There are times that he will slow down the wheel. There are times uh, that he will remove the pressure. I'm sure that there are times uh, that he'll lift his sleeve to his brow and he will wipe the sweat of the concentration from him and there he will reach again to the clay that is on the wheel and start all over again. The Bible tells us that while Jeremiah was there in that place bent over the potter's wheel was a potter and I don't know what really happened but as Jeremiah began to watch him the Bible shows us that suddenly in the midst of all of the work that he was doing. Perhaps it was a noise that was made before an action occurred, but suddenly the, the potter stops the spinning of the wheel, and there he takes a scrutinizing look at the vessel that he has been working on. It was at that point that Jeremiah began to understand that what the potter was looking at, Brother Townley, was that he was looking at a, 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 a decay, a 
a corruption, a perversion, something, some form of something had found its way into that vessel. I don't know how long the vessel had been in the hands of the potter. I don't know how much effort, how much care had gone into it. I don't know how many miracles and how many times God had reached down into the life of the vessel and tried to do a great work in his life. I don't know how it got there, but suddenly there it is. It was some form of marring. It was some form of imperfection. I don't know exactly what it was. And I don't know the instant feeling of the potter. But Jeremiah is standing there watching the incident occur. And then suddenly uh, he watches the potter. My, my question to you was, does the potter in anger cast the vessel away? Does he shatter it into a thousand pieces and move forward onto something else? No, that's not what Jeremiah saw. But rather the Bible says that in the midst of the marring that was upon the vessel, that that potter reached out again and he made it again another vessel. I am thankful for the mercy of God. I am thankful for every time that we fail and we fall, that there's a place of repentance, that there's a place that we can go and get down on our knees and tell Oh God, I'm sorry. I'm thankful tonight uh, that there are people that are forgiven, uh, that are living off the remnants of yesterday's mercy. I am so thankful for mercy. And yet I know today that I'm preaching across the board. But my question tonight is not dealing with the, the, the vessel that was made again, another vessel. My question tonight is what about a vessel that has consistently time and time and time again misused and misshaped and perverted and corrupted? How many times can it be that mercy can touch the same vessel again and again and again and again? My question is, is there a point in which the vessel, after all that God tries to do to it, is there a point where the potter just gives up? Is there a point where the potter is tired of working with the same vessel? Is there a point in which mercy runs out. It is tonight that I am preaching about a great house. And in this house, there are many vessels, some to honor, some to dishonor. But here, Brother Haddon, when I say this, to be in the house means that you're still on the wheel and God is still shaping you and working you. But then there is the tragic account of what is called by Paul the vessel of wrath. The vessel of wrath alluded to by Paul is perhaps one of the most tragic things in the word of the Lord. It is a vessel, please hear me tonight. It is a vessel that has consistently resisted the hand of God. Every time God attempted to shape it and make it as he saw fit, the vessel refused to submit. 
The vessel refused to be shaped. It refused to hear the voice of a man of God. It refused to hear the word of the Lord. It, it refused to come down to the re repentance of a godly sorrow that was creeping upon it. Uh, but again and again and again and again and again, every time the Lord moved and tried to put his hand on the vessel, the vessel said, no, I don't want you to change me. I want to live the way that I've always lived. I want to do what I've always done. What about the vessel of wrath? I know that tonight this may not be popular, but it is the vessel of wrath. What about that vessel after all the times the Lord has tried to shape it? He's tried to change it. He's tried to turn it. He's tried to make it into what he was called to be. Finally, according to uh, proven archaeological writings and historians, the potter would take what is called the vessel of wrath, and he would take it, perhaps tears running down his cheeks, and he would take that vessel because he had reached a point in which he had seemingly done everything that he could do. And he would take that vessel and he would shatter it in the corner of the house. In one instant of time, a vessel that had so much purpose, that had so much potential, that had so much privilege and calling, in one moment of time, it was shattered in the corner and it was a fragment of what it could have been. If there has ever been anybody in the word of the Lord, that to me is more of a tragedy than anybody else in the Bible, is a man that we know as Judas Iscariot. Judas was a man that walked with the Lord. He heard him. He saw him. He touched him. You cannot convince Brother Haddon tonight that God did not love and did not care for the man that we know as Judas. You cannot convince me that when Jesus operated miracles, that perhaps out of the corner of his eye, Jesus, when a blind man was healed, would peek around the corner of his shoulder and wonder, maybe this will be the miracle that will get a hold of Judas. Maybe when the lepers were healed and God touched the untouchable sister, what, what, what was going through the mind of Jesus? I would submit that he loved him with everything inside of him. If anybody knew the works of God, if anybody heard the preaching that was great, if anybody felt the touch of the master and the potter, it was Judas Iscariot. You can't convince me that Jesus didn't love him. I can see, think about the final time that Jesus would ever really, as a friend, be in his presence. What was going through his mind at a table gathered around the other disciples when Jesus donned upon himself the form of a servant and there picking up a basin of water got down on his knees because Judas was still there. And there 
made his way to the betrayer. I wonder if it was one great last attempt of the master stooping down upon his knees reaching out to a betrayer's feet and washing the feet of a man that he was the clay and Christ was the potter. I'm going to get kind of personal tonight, and I'm not going to be much longer and belabor this, but I do feel a burden in my spirit tonight. Not only am I preaching to some people here tonight, but I'm preaching to people that are not in this place, and I'm preaching by faith that the word of the Lord will leak out of this place and begin to work miracles in homes of people that God is trying to work on, that is trying to reach, that is trying to touch, that is trying to resurrect, that is trying to turn from where they are. I need this church tonight to help me the next little while because I'm going to bear my soul tonight. I don't need you, please, to get tired and weary and just listen to a message tonight. I'm not just preaching a message. I'm walking down hell streets tonight, and I'm reaching some people that are making some grievous errors and some grievous mistakes. Yeah, I'm preaching a conviction message. Yeah, what I'm preaching is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But I don't do it because I don't like you. I do it because I want to pull you out of the fire of where you're headed. Oh, God, I remember seven years of age, Brother Townley. I remember getting the glorious gift of the Holy Ghost. I remember as a seven-year-old boy, and I'm going to ask you please to connect with me because I'm really going to bear my soul. Seven years old, they talk about the hunger that I had. I used to pray. I used to ask my mother, could we please go on Tuesday nights? I know that I'm only seven and all the all the 13 and above have prayer, but mama, I just want to be there to pray. I just feel a call on my life. I just feel like God wants to use me. I had people tell me your little, your little zealous ministry is not all cut out what it should be, but all at seven years old, I remember getting the Holy Ghost and laying in that altar. They couldn't even preach a message because I was out for over three hours speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. I remember those days of innocence and purity. I remember, I remember them telling me, Tim, you're too young to lay hands on people. But my God, at seven years old, I read it in the Bible. I thought I could do it. And I used to walk up to people and I'd lay my little hand on them and I'd say in the name of Jesus Christ and people would break and people would be anointed and people would be delivered. I remember the purity of the call of God. I'll never forget those days. My God, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I would lay in my room as a little boy and I would, I, would cry, I would cry to God late into the night. I remember my first dream, Brother Townley. Have I never forgotten? It's never been realized yet. But I remember in my dream... I don't have a whole lot of those. All you spiritual guys have them all the time. I, when I get one, I remember it. But I remember in that dream... 
I was standing. I didn't see myself really. I just knew it was me. But it was as though I was standing on the back of a crowd. And there was hundreds and hundreds. I don't know, thousands and thousands of people. And I knew that was me preaching. And it wasn't about being popular. But I knew that I was helping people come to the glory of God. And people were getting the Holy Ghost. I felt it. I knew it. I had a call of God in my life. I remember what it was. I remember going to my pastor, I don't know, seven, eight years old, telling him, Pastor, I was laying the other day under a little bench, and I know I heard God. I know he called me to preach. I didn't know what that meant. I just thought it was getting up and doing all kinds of dirty work. I just thought it was praying people through the Holy Ghost. That's all I thought it was, was just that, and it still is. But I I didn't even know what preaching really was. I I just knew that God called me to preach. Uh, At a young age, I told my pastor, tears streaming down my face. Uh, I said, I feel a call to preach. Uh, And he looked at me, and he told me things that really could have crushed a kid. But you can't turn a vision, and you can't turn the word of the Lord when you hear for yourself you know it when you get it for yourself you know it when God tells you you know it and there are people here tonight he's told you and you still know it seven eight nine ten years old everything was great on fire for God motor brother started dealing drugs He was four, maybe three, four years older than me. Started dealing drugs. It was right at the end of fifth grade. I remember my first time, and I'm gonna be real, I'm gonna be real blunt here tonight, because sometimes you gotta drag the monstrous sin out in the open and reveal it for what it is. My God. I don't know why I feel tonight almost a cavalier spirit on somebody tonight. I don't know why I feel it in my guts right now. There's a cavalierness about you. I just want to say this, sir. You're not guaranteed that you're going to walk out them doors and not get involved in an accident tonight. I'd rather not smile my way through this message, but I'd rather say, oh God, if you're reaching for me, let me hear the word of conviction. I don't know if Pentecost is moving away from this kind of preaching. I don't know, but I'm not going to back down tonight. Fifth grade, my brother is selling dope. I remember at a fifth grade party, remember, uh, I don't know, I started hanging around with some kids and fifth grade party, graduating from fifth grade. I smoked my first joint. I got hired in a kite, got crazy in the world. Fifth grade, I moved into sixth grade. It was a summer long. By the time sixth grade moved along, Brother Townley, I was called to be a preacher. I know what it is to lay in intercession and prayer for countless hours. I I know what it is for God to speak to me as a young boy about what somebody's doing in their life and to go pray about it and watch God deliver them. But by the time that sixth grade came along, I was selling dope. I was taking crystal. I was taking cocaine. I was dropping LSD. Everything you can imagine. And I started to drop and take and do. But I remember sixth grade, seventh grade. I remember because I had parents that if you live in my house, you're going to go to church. I remember. 
remember times that I would sit probably no further than where some of you are tonight from the preacher. I remember sitting there, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I would feel the tug of the Holy Ghost. Tears would try to shape. Preachers would prophesy. People would talk to me. And yet after time and time and time again, every time God moved, I shoved him away. Every time God tried to change me and shape me, I pushed him away. And yet, finally, I'm moving along. I'm not going to be too much longer. But eighth grade, I was so heavily into the world. I remember getting involved in things. I, I remember, Brother Townley, and I'm not glorifying tonight. I just have to drag it out in the open. Because you think that you can play around with the world and you can control what you're doing. Sir, ma'am, you can't control it. It comes along in one moment uh, and it drags it down to the dismal pits of hell and you start doing things uh, that when you were in your right mind, uh, you started saying, ah, I'd never do that. I remember times, eighth grade, sitting in the bedroom, listening to music of the world, sitting there, dropped a couple pills, and I turned on some real terrible music. One of my favorite songs was by a group that I'm not even going to name, so none of you kids go out and look for it. But it was a group that, the, the, I don't know what it was, but the main song was My Suicidal Dream. That was one of my favorite songs. I still know it by heart. My Suicidal Dream. My Suicidal Tendencies. It would talk about feeding me, putting me in the chair, cutting my wrist open. It was a lament. It was a painful song. But it fed something in my spirit. And I remember times, and you can take it or leave it. I remember times sitting in that room that I would look up and I would start to invite uh, the darkness. Uh, I would open my mouth and I would tell devils. Uh, I would say, you go ahead uh, and you fill me. Uh, you flood me uh, because I was fascinated uh, with the darkness of the world. Uh, I was spaced out of my mind. And then finally, 16 years of age, I remember times for the Townley. I hope I'm okay tonight. I know that's quiet. I, I know they say sheep don't talk when they're eating, so I really hope everybody's just eating tonight. But I remember a couple times with a friend of mine named Seth. I remember the times that we should have died. I remember the times we took so much LSD. We woke up on the bus stop 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. Our clothes were gone. We didn't know where we were. We didn't know what happened. We were so close to overdose. I remember times uh, that we would drink some kind of uh, uh, prescription stuff, and all of a sudden his dad slapping us in the face, uh, pouring water on us uh, because we were almost into a drug-induced coma. And yet after all those times, nothing ever stopped us. Nothing ever changed us. I remember driving down the road one time, 75 miles an hour. I had smoked so much dope driving down the road. And I passed out at the wheel going down Highway 75, one of the largest freeways in Atlanta. Hundreds and hundreds of cars, if you've ever been there. When I came to five minutes later, probably it was, it was five minutes later, I came to, I was going 95 miles an hour. 
passed out in the fast lane, slumped over the wheel. But for some reason, my car had never shifted off the lane. And you would think that that would have been enough to get a hold of me, but it wasn't. I never acknowledged that God even existed one time. And yet every time it was the mercy of God trying to keep me alive. I'm dragging the monster out. Oh, sin's a terrible thing. I hate sin. You know, as a preacher, I told you I'm going to get personal tonight. This is probably one of the main messages God has asked me to preach everywhere I go. I'm going to tell you something. There are things I still wrestle with today, memories that I have, things that I've done. You can get forgiveness for it, but my God, you wake up some mornings and you remember the person that was going to respond to God in a church service. It was your friend named Crystal. And you looked at her and said, don't you be dumb. And she stopped her crying, went outside, got in a car wreck and died in a moment. And knowing that I had a part of it. We lift our hands and love him. I know you may not be used to this. I don't know. I don't know. I feel so many conflicting things right now in this place. Some of you are really worried. Some of you don't want this kind of preaching to happen. I need us to pray right now. There is a real strong. There is a defiance in this place, and I know who you are. And I don't typically deal with it, but I'm dealing with it right now. It is not funny where you're going, it's not funny what you're doing. You're making some terrible mistakes. This preacher's your friend tonight. He's trying to help you. <laughs> oh, God. Finally, the year's 16 years old. I, uh... Musicians, please come. Just just keyboard. That's all I need. I remember 16 years old. I remember we moved to Guam. Became a bouncer at the age of 18 years old. The drinking age was 18 in the island of Guam. And, and you talk about going crazy. I hadn't felt the Lord. It, it had probably been by the time 18, 19 rolled around. I was doing so many things. Brother Townley, I'll never forget as long as I live the first time that the glass pipe of crystal meth hit my lips. There are times my wife will tell you she'll catch me come out of come out of sleep holding my breath. Still something in my flesh sometimes just can't get over the things that that thing did to me. Times I'll space out. God saved my mind. God's done so many good things and I'm thankful for. But I remember the first time that crystal meth touched my mouth. 
It was like something inside of me died. It was like any fragment, any thread of what I used to be shriveled up and just left. I had thoughts that I, I, I would never even want to say. I had things start happening to me that I, I, don't, I don't know how it ever got to that point. 18 years old, there were times I slept in the back of a Honda Civic. Couldn't stay with my parents. So dirty, unclean, so, so smoked out, so bombed. I remember, my God, I remember the times that drug deals gone bad. I should have, when the trigger was pulled, I should have died on the spot. Yet the triggers never fired. 18 years old. I don't know, it would probably been 10, 12, 13 years since I'd ever felt God. I, I, I can't, I, I cannot explain to you. I can't, I, I still remember it. I still remember the darkness. I still remember, I still remember it so vividly. And that's why my heart is breaking tonight. And I've got a burden tonight for some of you. Eighteen years old, I remember one day. I was so strung out. Been two weeks since I'd even slept. I was shaking from head to toe. I hadn't had a fix. And uh, I was back with my parents again. A week before that, my, my dad approached the pastor. I wasn't going to church. He approached the pastor and he said, I got I to gotta kick him out. I got to get rid of him. And the pastor looked at him and he said, the Lord spoke to him on the spot. And he said to my dad, Tom, he said, Tom, the Lord spoke to me and said, don't cut the cord yet. Because <laughs> if he cut the cord, he's gone. So my dad dealt with it. But I remember one day, man, I'm struggling to get this out tonight. I remember sitting there, 18 years old. If you came for a pretty thought tonight, you're out of luck. 18 years old, I was sitting in the extra bedroom of the house. So strung out. I was shaking, literally, my knees were thumping. I was so uncontrollably desiresome of another fix. I had a buddy on the way with a little rock. We were going to smoke it. I was sitting there and for some reason I, I can't even really tell you what did it, what drew me to it. But I was a mess. Shaken. Hadn't eaten. I hadn't slept. I looked like death warmed over. Had the door closed and my dad had a computer there, and every morning he would pray. I heard him cry my name out many times. Heard my mom cry my name out many times. I remember times at 18 years old. See, this is what kids are going through today. They're not shocked by this stuff today. You go out into this real world, these kids are being confronted by so many things that make you cry. But I remember times. I'm not trying to be too graphic. But I remember times I'd gotten so far from God. 
sitting in the darkness of that room, I'd take out a lighter and I'd light a big old metal knife. And I'd look up into the heavens. And I'd scream at the top of my voice, God, I hate you. I remember times that I would say, go ahead, send me to hell. And I'd take that knife, burning red hot, and I'd put it all over my skin and cut and tear. But I'll never forget one day sitting in that room. I don't know what drove me to do it, but I reached out on that little computer, and he has a little prayer list up, and I clicked on the song that was on the top of the list. And uh, I heard it start playing. Oh, Lord, my God, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the works thine hands hath made. At that moment, a tear <laughs> slipped out. I brushed it away. I said, no. But I couldn't turn off the song. I never called him. I never asked for him. <laughs> Judas Iscariot had walked with him talked with him, felt him, rejected him so many times that finally with a guilty conscience, having betrayed his master, took the 30 pieces of silver and said, I can't take it. The Bible says that they took it and they said, he can't use it. It's blood money. The Bible says that they went and they purchased a potter's field. You want to know what the potter's field was and what it was used for? Not only was it used for burying strangers, but at the end of every day, the potters would go to the corner of the house and the vessels of wrath that they had shattered into the corner, they would reach down and pick up the fragments of broken dreams, hopes and promise, and they would put them in a basket and they would take it into the potter's field. And they would dump it there among the bodies of strangers. I sat there with tears rolling down my face. Uh, I brushed them off. I couldn't stop it. All of a sudden, Brother Townley, I heard shouting. I heard yelling. I heard things breaking in the corner of the, of the side of the house. I, I, heard, I heard the voice of my brother. heard my dad I heard things shattering and flying and breaking something told me tears streaming down my face told me Tim get up and go look around the corner so I got up brushing tears away that song was still playing and I went and opened up the door and I turned around in the corner and I looked out in the living room and there on the floor my little brother 
three years younger than me. I'd messed them all up. He was in a drunken stupor, loaded up on drugs, and he was physically, I don't know what he was on, but he was physically fighting my father, scratches all over my father's face. My daddy was on top of him, and I'll never forget as long as I live. He was praying, crying out, God, save my babies. Again and again and again. And in that moment, I saw something I'll never forget, and I've never seen anything like it since. Where my little brother was, you can take it or leave it. Where my little brother was, there was this little shriveled black figure. It was begging, let me go. Standing where my father was, it was the biggest, most towering white figure I've ever seen in my life. Standing tall and proud. At that moment in time, the Lord spoke to me as clear as I'm talking to you right now. He said, Tim, who do you think's going to win? That was it. Brother Townley, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And for the first time in my life, I knew I was going to hell. First time in my life, I knew that I was losing. And I turned from where I was. I'm hurrying up. I turned from where I was. I was sobbing now. My little brother's screaming, yelling. My dad was at times praying intercessory prayer. And the devil that was on my brother, and they, if they're here, they could tell you about it. He was word for word mimicking the tongue that my father was praying. God, save my babies! And I turned and I shut the door. And I walked to the little day bed there. And I got down on my knees. And I was, I was a mess. I could hardly talk. And I started saying, God, I'm sorry. And out the time that I was on my knees praying, I heard my brother in the other room scream at the top of his lungs, Tim, get off your knees. Get off of your knees. Get off of your knees. Why? Because the devil knew that a field nobody else wanted, a field of fragmented purpose and fragmented hope and fragmented dreams. I was no longer in the house. I was cast aside after all the times that I resisted God. A merciless place was where I was. What was happening that day, and the Lord gave me this message not long after I got that. What was happening that day was a potter left the house with a basket and said, maybe, just maybe, I can find the fragments of what was shattered. Let's stand. Kneeling down. 
I'll never forget Brother Townley. 13 years, God refilled me with the glorious gift of the Holy Ghost, refreshed me, renewed me. I was sitting there crying and praying. My brother and dad are still going at it. The Lord spoke to me again. He said, Tim, if you're really serious this time, he said, I want you to get up and go outside. And at the top of your lungs, I want you to scream how much you love me. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I sold drugs to the guy next door. I drank with the guy downstairs and the guy upstairs. We hung out all the time. But I didn't even hesitate. I got up from where I was, walked out of that room, past my dad and my brother. They're going at it. My dad's crying out, save my babies. And I walked to that door, opened up that door, and I stepped out to the landing. The top of my voice at 2 o'clock in the morning for about five minutes straight. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Doors were opening. I heard people saying, what's going on? But I didn't care. You know what it feels like? 13 years you haven't felt anything from God. And I can remember feeling the call to preach come back on me. What was happening? A potter was walking through a field saying, where? Where's it at? Devil said, what are you doing here? They've gone too far. They've lost it. Nobody cares about them. He said, shut up, devil. I purchased this field. This field belongs to me. Nobody else wanted it, but my blood covered it. Blood bought it. Blood purchased it. And he started walking around. He said, there it is. There it is. And I'll tell you what was happening. The Lord was reaching down. He picked up the call to preach. And he put it in the basket. And he looked around. He said, where's that girl that I had planned for him to marry? There she is. And he picked it up, put it in the basket. Where's that miracle child they're going to have? And one by one by one by one. And as I'm standing outside, and I'm done, scream at the top of my lungs, I love you, Jesus. From the inside of the house, I heard, parents they got backslid kids it ain't too late I walked back in the house tears streaming down my face and my dad was dancing shouting crying praising hallelujah and my little brother was laying on the floor speaking in other tongues Delivered him. So where am I at? I'm this close. To almost dragging some of y'all to an altar. 
this closet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In the name of the Lord Jesus. nobody looking around God's drawing some of you right now oh Lord my God when I in awesome wonder would you come sir consider all would you come ma'am would you step out from where you are don't worry about who sees you I've been reaching for you tonight. I see the Come stars. on, sir. I hear the He's moving on you. Thunder. You've been feeling it since you got here. The power through us. Come on, come on, come on. Display. Is there anybody that would step out in this place and go make that altar accessible with your prayers, with your sacrifice? Come on, church. I need you to lift your voice. I need you to begin to pray. God is reaching for people. He's reaching right now. Hallelujah. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then 
to your voice all over this place in prayer. Oh, oh, oh my 